Hello, and thank you for listening to this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. My name is Billy Newman, and I'm on this podcast today. I'll be talking uh, just by myself. I think uh, Dave's going to take the day off today, who I'm, uh, I'm normally bouncing some ideas off of. But uh, today, I think uh, what I had in mind is uh, going over a couple, I guess, I don't know, projects or things that I've been working on over, uh, over the last little bit of time uh, since I'd done my, uh, my last uh, installment of a podcast. But uh, I think I was going to talk about... Um, about the archives of photos that I've been trying to go through and post um, up on social media and on Instagram and uh, and then, I guess, some of the stuff that I've been doing there. So I thought I'd uh, kind of jump in and go into uh, some of those pictures. But uh, it's been good, and I think what I tried to do is uh, set it up. I just kind of moved over to Hootsuite. Uh, in the past, I'd been using Buffer to get a lot of stuff done, but, uh, but now I'm over on Hootsuite, and it's been working really well. In its ways, but their Instagram stuff is so sucky. It's like it's this really kind of confused, sort of muddled system of uh, of trying to get things up onto Instagram. It's, it's kind of kludgy, but you you like write the post. Let's say you're writing um, for something to to be posted out on Twitter, let's say, and then on Facebook and on Instagram using Hootsuite. It'll jump out to Instagram, or excuse me, it'll jump out to Facebook and Twitter just fine. But for Instagram, you have to manually post this because Instagram doesn't allow you. Um, I think it's uh, I think it's like an API call. I think uh, Instagram, since it's really not a website, it's that application. It doesn't really give you that type of access, um, like Facebook or like Twitter does, to post things automatically or post things from uh, from another place or through an API. And so their integration on that is still kind of funky. But you can you can have the post kind of pull up through the Hootsuite app and then jump over to through an extension, jump over to to Instagram, and then you can I think post the square photo has no support for landscape or for portrait and then uh you can like paste your your little blurb about the photo in and paste in whatever hashtags you're going to put in and it makes it easier and it makes it kind of more structured but it's really not the same as automated social media um which is disappointing <laughs> so i don't know be warned about uh, about the hootsuite process it's really why i jumped on board with hootsuite is because uh, i had uh, at least some level of instagram integration that i could Get, get started with but I think there's a few of these that I was going to gonna get into what I had done is I jumped back into my Lightroom catalog from uh, from like 2007 I think actually one of the first or earliest photos from this is like from 2002 um, so uh, so I jumped back into all these old photographs that I had um, and I really tried to go for, for more of the interesting or kind of I, you know when I started trying to be professional or trying to at least be interesting uh, and take, take a few photographs that were you know uh, I guess worth looking at a little bit more, but uh, there's a lot of stuff that I had never posted that's in the Tetons um, from 2011, and so I'm really happy to see a lot of those photographs now show up uh, on my website or, or just show up in a new format. And, and you know, if they haven't really been seen in a few years, I think it's fine to bring it up and you know show people more about uh, what I've been doing. I don't think it it really frustrates someone too much to uh, see a photograph for a second time, but it's been a good uh, a good experience. I think I've had five go out a day. Um, for the last week and now I think I've kind of I've been adjusting the number around from three or four I'm not really sure which one gets the most engagement or, or I, you know the, at a point I think you know after so many posts a day I think there's uh, some amount of overload for a lot of folks you know within a small community of people that look at stuff on, on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook where it's sort of fatiguing to see just one person's post that many times a day but I'm happy to get five out I think that's uh, that's good or it's kind of um, 
not prolific, but it's a, uh, it's a work, you know, it's uh, an effort that I'm trying to put forth to show a lot of photographs of mine. And I think it's a lot better than, uh, you know, just no posts ever. So I'm happy about that. But, uh, I think there's just uh, a few great ones from the Tetons that I've been, uh, been getting a chance to look at. There's uh, a few from earlier on in that trip that are kind of alternate versions or re-edits of the photos. And, and that's another big part that I'm noticing is that all these photographs, as I cruise through the Lightroom library, I'm able to, to drop all the old Lightroom effects or Lightroom, um, I guess adjustments is what Lightroom wants you to say, but uh, the uh, kind of edits or the coloring and uh, you know kind of changing of the contrast and the blacks and the tone curve and, and the colors and saturation, all that sort of stuff. I've gone through and I've wiped it to the clean original photograph that I took, which is often um, uh, underwhelming. You know, they're gray or they're darker or they're just not as vibrant or bright or they don't have that same kind of vividness that uh, that at least I have in my memory or, or whatever I kind of pushed into it from the last time I had edited the photograph. Um, so I've been going back through and I've been tr- trying to make these more subtle changes to it or, or just trying to make these photographs look a little bit more natural, a little bit more new. And a huge benefit of that is really um, using the, the new Lightroom software um, or just kind of staying up to date with, uh, with what software is available. And I think there's a lot of uh, the digital changes that have made a big effect on how I'm able to, to make changes to the photo. So I could take the raw photo and just the, the way that like the algorithm of, of working with um, your tone curve works or working with your healing brush or working with um, you know hues or, or color casts or saturation or your horizon line. All of these tools have gotten much, much better over the iterations of Lightroom that have been created over the last four years since, since the time that I did it. And I've gotten much better. I've gotten uh, at least clear at understanding um, what to edit, how to edit, what the natural logic of light is a little bit more. Um, so I'm able to kind of go back through and, and change these things that were um, too much or too heavy-handed of an effect that, that uh, had happened early on. Um, and I'm just kind of trying out some other options, too. Like, uh, like there's a few images that were originally black and whites. Or I think there's this image of uh, this old-timer at the Pendleton Roundup um, who was performing on a cigar box fiddle. I don't know if you've seen those. It's, you know, you know a little cigar box. Um, and I, I guess back in the day, or it's just sort of a Western trope to have that uh, have it kind of built into a fiddle. Um, with like strings and stuff all around it. So uh, there's this fellow playing a cigar box fiddle in, in kind of a costume. And, uh, and so I think before I had only ever published that as a black and white photograph. Uh, and so I went through and I found the original and I kind of worked on it and decided to throw out a, a color version of that image. And I think it's cool. I'm glad that I did. And, you know, it's, it's just nice to see these photographs that I've had out before in a little bit of a new way. But uh, I know it's it's still really close to the same. There's also a lot of fun stuff from from college too, um, kind of early on during my freshman year. So that's kind of uh, the six months after I got my first DSLR, um, after I was kind of shooting with that a lot. And I remember back then I was I was really trying to um, kind of ramp up and get into it and kind of learn more about digital media and that sort of stuff. As I had first started getting into college for that, you know, for new media or, or or digital media, digital publishing. So I was trying to to do that quite a bit more. And there's a lot of content that I have, uh, content, I hate that. There's a lot of good photographs that I have that, uh, that are from 2007 to 2008 um, that were pretty fun, to, pretty fun to put together or to throw up uh, or just kind of fun old memories. A lot of, um, a lot of long exposure stuff. That's, that's the thing that I got into early on. And I'd recommend that for a lot of people who are just starting out in photography. And it's something that, uh, that maybe you've underlooked in a lot of tutorials, perhaps. But uh, what I found is, is working on long exposure photography really had me... Um, slow down not because you well because you have to because it is a long exposure because it's you know 10 or 30 seconds that you have to wait for for the camera to take that that photograph um you just have to have everything very still you have to have things 
pretty quiet, pretty mellow. You have to have time for things to kind of take place and to retry and to try new things or to try and get that exposure you want. And it's a lot better or it just forces you to do that because, because it physically has to take that long. And, uh, and it's also good because long exposure photography in a lot of ways doesn't really react well to a lot of chaos or a lot of movement. Like street photography might be interesting, you know, if there's, if there's a lot of chaos or a lot of movement or, you know, there's expressions or people, there's, what is that thing? What was that what did the photographer say? I think it's like the decisive moment, um, you know, kind of capturing that element in a person's movement or in the movement of, you know, a scene that, that really kind of identifies it as a photograph for us as the viewer. Um, and, I've gotten much better at that over time, but early on, I think the the way the best way for me to kind of learn camera equipment, learn exposure, learn about the art, or learn about photography, and also just kind of find something interesting to do, was to go out at night with a tripod and set the camera up, my digital camera, and then you could just kind of go through the process, or you just kind of go through different experiments of how it worked for you, or what you think would work better, what to change, and and that really helped me learn about the connection between ISO and which would be more like uh, gain or sensor sensitivity to light. Um, and then it also, well, the relationship of ISO to, um, to shutter speed and to aperture, that was really important for me to learn, especially in long exposures when I was trying to get this effect of, well, I want it to be you know, on for long enough that you know, the, the water becomes more still, that sort of thing. Or, um, so that would mean I'd crank my aperture up for a little bit. And, uh, and that worked out really well for me to do that. But I'm looking at a couple images from Oregon State University back from, uh, from 2008. I think like uh, winter term of 2008 was the period that I went up there. And uh, during that time, I, was, uh, I guess I was just trying to go out over a few nights and get photographs of uh, the different, ele- or different places at, uh, at the university. So there's a photo of the Memorial Union. There's a photo of like the women's building that was there. Very exciting. But uh, across the lawn, I think I was just trying to get used to architectural photography. I remember there's this cool photo of the uh, Kelly engineering building that I had. That was uh, one of like the first HDR images. It was like 2007, 2008. So HDR was really in and new. And I think I torrented a version of uh, that photomatics program that did, uh, that did HDR merging. And uh, I, remember, I remember working on that quite a bit on my, uh, my little old laptop, trying to build these weird kind of crazy HDR photos that were uh, seemingly really in at the time. Now, at least for the HDR part of it, I don't know if I really jive with it. I'd rather just kind of boost the saturation a little bit and try and um, try and blend the the contrast that I have naturally a little bit better. But uh, but I'm glad I have them. I'm glad that I uh, that I worked on during the time. And there's a lot of good uh, photos in in the original set of images that's there. So so I'm glad I have that. But uh, but yeah, a lot of cool stuff from OSU. I think like the Benton Building's got a cool photo from it. And there's a, a few other things. Um, from prior to my time at Oregon State University, there's like a few um, like star trail photos, a few like, I guess, um, like night sky photographs. And that reminds me of another project I want to talk to you about in a second. But uh, a few cool photos like where I was trying to paint the trees with uh, with the flashlight that I had. So you'd put it on like a 20 second exposure of the night sky above you. I think there's this one image of the summer sky where you can see... Um, the summer triangle of Vega and then the Neb you can see and then Altair is kind of um, kind of covered by this tree but with that tree I took this flashlight this LED flashlight at the time 
and over the 20 seconds I kind of sweep it across the tree and so there's these um, or there's just an illumination of the tree against the starlight that uh, is kind of cool to see but uh, you can really only see it because of the, the flashlight that was there to kind of paint that light on over a few seconds and I've seen that technique used uh, a lot of times before I've seen like um, like cool stuff from from like headlights and really far away objects where they kind of illuminate like a desert landscape you know and but get these really cool star trails because they were able to kind of pan and sweep with this light over the period of time where their exposure was being taken place so you could get this kind of interesting colorful look in places that you wouldn't really see that I think there's another photo that was a long exposure from Portland that was one of my or an early photo that became quickly one of my favorites but there's a huge uh, reflection I think I'm on the waterfront over by OMSI on the east side of Portland and uh, the photo is looking back in October 2007 it's looking back toward the skyline of, uh, of all the buildings in Portland on the west side downtown and uh, there's this really cool um, reflection of, of all the light from all the buildings that's in the Willamette River uh, that kind of goes across. So there's a lot of cool streaks of light. I think there's like red and blue and green and purple kind of all streaked across um, the light in the water on the Willamette River. And then above that on the horizon line rises up from that all these, uh, these kind of most Portland-sized skyscrapers. Um, so it's cool. I'm glad that I got that photograph. There's another photo in here of, uh, of an old comet that, uh, that I photographed with, uh, with my roommate Micah way back and that was in uh that was in fall of 2007 also but i remember this comet cruised in i think it was over by uh star capella and uh so it really only showed up as a pretty dim fuzzy dot in the sky but uh, i remember we spent a lot of time out there uh in a pretty cold evening on top of uh well i think it was it was a small hill kind of north of corvallis um, but it's a cool photo. You can really you can make out that it is a comet. There's no tail, unfortunately. I think it was one of those comets that's kind of uh, focused on going like straight in toward us, and then uh, but not kind of beside us and not at a glancing angle. So the tail that you see is facing away from the sun, and I think in this image that would be directly away from the Earth or at opposition to us, so you don't see a tail in the photograph. Um, let's see what other photos I've got in here. I think there's this cool one. There's a few that I took at like a, a poker night way back in like 2007. Uh, that are pretty fun to see again or, or just like some cool old memories but again a lot of stuff that was long exposure i'm looking at like a few things that were from 2008 of uh of like downtown downtown scenes of places that uh that were in like the winter time i'm, I'm seeing a lot of stuff of um what is that called like where you get that um where you like ratchet down the aperture to like f16 let's say and then uh when it's wide open and you take a, take a photograph of, let's say, like a pinpoint of light, it'll just sort of look like an orb of light. It'll kind of glow out, and it'll sort of, like, spread and look like a big orb of light. But if you drop, if you ratchet down to, like, F16, uh, it'll close that aperture down, and depending on, like, how many, I think, what is it? The, the, it doesn't make a perfect circle. So there's these artifacts of where, where the iris sort of closes down, and there's, like, a little flare that comes off of that, or a little line. So you get these kind of star-like... Uh, images that look like the light it's like a star filter or something um, so it's kind of a cool way to to look at a light or, or you know to look at uh, lights in a long exposure of a bigger scene um, i think it's fun fun to go back and see all these old photographs and i think i've, I've had quite a few of them go out um, there's a lot of good ones that are coming up soon though so i think what i try to do is go back through like the college years of stuff and then jump into i think like straight into the the better stuff that i was doing um with uh, like the photographic trips that's when i was really trying to like get photography done and or like learn about photography and get get interesting images kind of created so there's a lot of stuff in there that i'm proud of there's a couple from uh 
from Crater Lake, a trip that I did in 2012 that are going to be coming out soon. I think at the end of this week that I'm really excited to see. But uh, this really cool panorama that uh, that I've now re-edited to, to really illustrate the entire lake of, uh, of Crater Lake out there. And it was this really beautiful evening, a really cool uh, sunset was going on. And I was really fortunate to, to be out there with the tripod. And I spent the whole day there uh, at Crater Lake, kind of waiting for the right light and then like hiking out and finding a good spot. Um, up in the snow, which was cool. I think it was June, but yeah, there's still a lot of the the or the, the rim trail that was still closed because of uh, how much snow there was. And uh, so I took uh, took some time, spent the evening up there until it was dark, and then drove back down and then out to some campground way out of town there, or way out of the uh, national park. And uh, I got a, a handful of really cool uh, panorama photos that I've just now gone through and re-edited. But, uh, but they've been my favorites for a long time. And I think that these re-edits of uh, these old photographs from Crater Lake are probably going to jump up uh, on top of my list now of some of my favorite pieces in my portfolio, which is cool to see. I'm glad to see it uh, growing a little bit, even still with, uh, with old images. So it's nice to see a few things getting better. But there's a handful of abstracts, a cool uh, set of... Um, photos from uh, from this old industrial section of uh, southern oregon or of grants pass that i was in you know just old mills old woodworking mills that have uh, old smokestacks and stuff and at night when they're you know blowing out steam or smoke uh there's l- enough security lights in the area that th- that light really illuminates and so you can get these really cool kind of sweeping textures over these uh, sort of strange sort of industrial looking scenes um it's this nice warm bright orange glow that's kind of over uh, this uh, industrial area, so it's kind of fun. I remember they're just uh, they're kind of early conceptual images that I was trying to make, uh, or just early images for fun. I remember a lot of them were just kind of uh, evenings of frustration at home, and I just kind of get fed up with uh, whatever stuff I was doing. And I think well, I'm gonna go grab my camera and you know try and try and go take some pictures. Just I guess because I like it because it's more interesting. Um, so hey, the other thing that I was going to talk about, this is the uh, the only other topic that I have for this podcast this evening, is uh, the nightsky.io project. I want you guys to check that out if uh, you ever get a chance. I'll put a link on it. And that's what I need to get better at with my site is uh, just more links out to all my projects and stuff. But um, my blogs are always just the photo only, no links, no other options or anything. So um, I think what I'm going to try and do is, um, uh, well... I'm going to try and get this Night Sky project launched in the next couple days, and it's going to be a Kickstarter, uh, which I'm excited about. It's going to be the first Kickstarter campaign that I'm running. I don't know, you know, I don't know what the outcome of it will be or how successful it will be, but in the least, it will be a good learning experience for uh, for a lot of other projects that I want to do. But I'm working on with Marina this Night Sky uh, .io calendar. It's supposed to work or supposed to function as like an almanac uh, throughout the year, throughout the year of 2016. Um, that really shows uh, on the calendar itself, it, it kind of identifies all the celestial dates of interest that are going to happen throughout the year. So uh, anytime there's like a lunar eclipse or a solar eclipse, that's going to be identified on the calendar. Or if there's uh, a time when a new planet is rising up over the horizon, that's going to be listed in the calendar. Or if there's a, a point where um, Jupiter is at opposition, so it's going to be at its brightest to us uh, at that time of the year, then I'll mark that as, uh, as a point on the calendar or um, or like this last year, I remember in June, like, uh, what was it? I think it was in June. Toward the end of June, we had this really close uh, proximity of Venus and Jupiter together, real close together in the evening sky um, before sunset. And I thought that was or it was just really cool to get to see something like that. So things like that are going to be kind of identified and pulled out on this calendar that we're going to make. And it's going to be an art calendar, 12 by 12 uh, art calendar that's uh, going to have 
just all hand-drawn images, all hand-drawn illustrations of uh, kind of the changing night sky. So it's going to be sort of this whimsical artistic representation of uh, the things in the night sky above us. And it's going to be kind of a, like in January, it's going to reflect elements of the January sky that are interesting to see. And then in February, it's going to reflect elements of the February sky, changes throughout the year that are going to you know, be coming up or a, a new constellation that's now available. Like by the time we get to May or July, um, we'll be able to pull up like Scorpio. It's like, hey, here's a summer constellation coming up or here's these stars that are about it. And I think that's going to be a really cool project. And I'm looking forward to, um, to kind of building it out and doing more with it over the year and then working to, to put together the Kickstarter in a more structured and more, I guess, uh, or just allowing ourselves more time to have uh, you know, better effort put toward uh, a Kickstarter campaign for the 2017 nightsky.io calendar. It's something that I'd like to do for, uh, for a few years uh, from this point on, but, uh, but it seems like a good idea. I'm excited to do it. I've always been really passionate about, uh, about you know, the night sky and about astronomy and about celestial viewing and about uh, you know, using a telescope, that sort of thing. Um, so I'm really excited to try and get into that, and I'm hoping to do a lot more podcast content with that or a lot more website content with that. But that's why I went ahead and I had uh, registered the nightsky.io uh, website address. And I've been trying to sort it out for a long time now of how it's going to work. But, uh, but yeah, nightsky.io, and there's going to be the kickstarter.com forward slash, I think it's like nightsky or nightsky.io. Um, and I'll have links for that all on you know, the main website. But, uh, but yeah, I'm going to have that going. And I'm hoping to do as much marketing through the month of December to kind of push up or bolster this, uh, this Kickstarter campaign as I can. Uh, but I think the general idea is just we're, we're trying to raise... Uh, like fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars to do the initial uh, printing press, or the, you know, the initial printing of this calendar, so we can go through it uh, with a with a bulk rate. Is really the benefit that we're trying to trying to get, so that makes things and the whole calendar cost less for each person that would want to have it. And I think that would be great if we're able to get the pledges uh, to kind of raise that money in advance, and then go to the print shop with um, with our finished in design uh, template, you know, our, our proofed in design template of what we're producing, um, and then send that to print and get a good product back that's uh, prepped and ready to go and we can get a better rate on that and then send everything out by uh, by like mid or early January and the benefit for this calendar since we kind of know that it's shifting and we know that January is a month in 2016 we're, uh, we're making it a, like a 13 month calendar so it'll be January through January of 2017 um, which will be great. It'll be really fun. We'll have our first month of our 2017 calendar already finished before the year even starts so it'll be a good time but, uh, but yeah, that's what we've been working on. Spent a lot of time today trying to sort out uh, different pledge levels and, and different information on that, uh, that Kickstarter page. But, uh, but yeah, it'll be good. And there's a few ideas that I have even for a separate podcast, separate from this one. That's, uh, that's just specifically fo- focused on the night sky uh, tonight or, you know, the information and, and uh, communication about uh, astronomy, astronomy news and the night sky, celestial viewing. Um, and all that sort of stuff. But I think there's a lot of, a lot of stuff out there to kind of dig up and pull up and build content on that's related to uh, science education or, eh, but in a more fun way, I don't want to do astronomy. I think I've talked on this podcast before about, I don't want to do seventh grade astronomy class or high school astronomy class. I think that's more advanced or college, you know, uh, or astrophysics. Astronomy class always turns into astrophysics, which is um, what is a light year or what is a, one solar mass star or what is a main sequence star it's that sort of stuff what i'd like to get into more is in january what how do i find the heavenly g or how do i how many first magnitude stars are there above me uh in you know the sky above me during january february and march in the winter Um, or what star is that or when is this planet coming up 
that sort of thing is what I'd like to, to try and get into a little bit more. And I think that the nightsky.io project is going to be a great opportunity to do that. So you can check that out at nightsky.io. And you can check out more of my stuff out at billynewmanphoto.com. Once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. <laughs>